0: Mm, I hope so. We've been in this series on discipleship, and today we're going to talk about something that that I think is it's it's weird to talk about because I have explained to you my job every week, right? Those of you who've had public speaking, you know, I I do a persuasive speech every week. You know that, right? So my job today is to get you on my side and want to to get you to agree with me without offending you. All right. Because sometimes it hurts to be shown maybe a something you 're not doing right, right? Can we do that today? Can you, can you, can you just be on my side from the beginning <laughs> i 'm just kidding. Let me tell you a story. so stories are good, right? So I was a youth pastor for a long time, a long time twenty six years. but when I started, I was ho- a youth pastor in my home church, and it is a, a larger church it still is it 's a great church, and I, I love going home and, and visiting and it, you know things have changed a lot but let me, just, let me just give you an example of what I'm talking about today. So youth ministry, uh, we, did, we did our high school on Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights with uh, middle school. So I have a middle school service, and uh, anybody ever worked with middle schoolers? Anybody here a middle schooler? OK, love you guys. Here's one of the things I love about middle school. They are fun. They're crazy. You can get them to do whatever if you just make it fun right and so in our middle school services i would always do these contests and whatever i wanted them to do for the service i would i would give them points okay don't don't give away my secret points are free right i could just tell them hey it's 500 points and they'd be super excited whoa 500 so so this particular night the whole night was was oriented around your identity so what we were going to do is have them figure out what their identity was, and then show them that their identity should be in Christ. See how this works? So what I had them do that night is bring magazines. I told them, get your parents' permission, of course. Bring magazines. So what we are doing that night is making a collage of you, of yourself. So you're going to look through the magazine and find pictures, cut them out, whatever, and show us who you are. So here's the night. So we, at, our, at this church, we... Uh, We'd outgrown whatever youth rooms we had. So so we're in this large room we called the fireside room. It's a beautiful room. Had a big fireplace and all this. It was really beautiful. And then had these huge cathedral windows that you overlooked. Our church happened to be across from a community golf course. So it, it was just gorgeous, right? And then the parking lot was down there. So all this is happening. So I moved out all the chairs and we had all these tables in there. So scissors, safety scissors, because they're middle schoolers. And glue, right? and magazines everywhere. And my leaders are walking around and kids are doing it. There's a lot of talking and laughing and leaders are grabbing the inappropriate ads. You know what I'm talking about? Give me any magazine at all. It's like, we just don't need that. So they're doing all that and all this is happening. And as this is going on, I see movement out in the parking lot. And it was one of our middle school boys who came all the time. I mean, I knew this kid and he's running like this through the parking lot. I'm like, what in the world is he doing? So, I'm watching all this happen. I'm seeing him. He's just like this. I'm thinking, I think, I got to figure out what's going on out there. So, I'm thinking, okay, everything's cool. Got all these leaders. I step out of the uh, fireside room, and our business administrator at the church is standing there, Pastor Larry. You know, and he's dressed in slacks and a, you know, dress shirt <laughs> like he would. And I say, hey, Larry, uh, can you just step in and keep an eye on things for one second? I'm just going to run out in the parking lot. I'll be right back. He's like, okay. So, he walks in. So I go outside. What it was is there was kind of a main road there, and there was a light out there. And what had happened is the kid's sister had dropped, was going to drop him off at church. And, and like you guys would probably never do this. But when the car stopped, he just jumped out of the car and started running. So she was kind of mad at him, and she was kind of chasing him with the car. But I hadn't seen that part. So he is still running like this to the church, and she's pulling up. And I'm like, what is going on? And, and she's like... Oh, I just he does that kind of stuff all the time makes me so mad you know and so I'm like well he's here and he's safe I got him and so we walked back in and as we walked back into where the before we got into the fireside room Larry sat outside the door and he's just holding on to the wall like this I'm like Larry you're all right he was already a white guy but I mean he was like all the blood drained from his face white I'm like Larry what happened something happened And he's just looking at me and he's like what is going on in there and I said, it's youth ministry, bro. Walked right by him, got in there. We did our service, right? It was awesome. It was a great night. The next morning, I'm sitting in my office, and Larry walks in. You know, sometimes these guys kind of have attitude. He walks in, busts my door open, and he's like, how did you do that? Do what? How, how did you clean the room up like that? I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, it looks perfect in there. I'm like, yeah, it always does. And he's like, "But but that was chaos. That was ridiculous." And I'm like, "Larry, that happens every week. <laughs> Have you never checked on us at all? There's always something like that. I mean, it's middle school ministry. It's." And he's like, "But how'd you do it?" He goes, "I saw it. They were they were cutting up papers and there was glue and there was every table's clean. I checked. Of course he did. He's like the carpet. There's nothing on the carpet." I'm like, "Larry, look. I gave him points to bring that junk, and I also gave him points to clean it up." And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, well, I gave him a thousand points to the kid who gave me the biggest stack of, of paper. So every single piece of paper that ever existed in that room was in my hands. He's like, points? <laughs> like, they're free, Larry. They think it's a big deal, it's a big deal. And it's all clean. Right? See how this works? You know what that tells you? I don't know what you learned from the story. I learned this. I wasn't gonna ask Larry to volunteer in middle school <laughs> ministry, right? He would have had a heart attack because yeah that was it probably looked chaotic to him but if you love middle schoolers and you love ministry to kids to youth that was a beautiful scene if I were to walk in the room I'd have been like this is awesome and I would have wanted to be at each table and check out what was going on and and which is what I did and walked around and talked to every kid about every single thing they did but for him it, it wasn't his thing you get that right so let me just explain some things. I grew up in church, and my, my parents were super involved, and involved in everything. I mean, they sang in the choir, and when I was old enough, I sang in the choir, right? My dad was a board member. My mom ran a ministry, because we lived in San Diego for, for quite a while there, and um, my mom did a ministry to service wives, because she was a service wife, right, and had no support all those years. Because it's changed a lot, but at least when I was a kid, my dad would go when he would go on a ship and be gone, he'd be gone for a minimum nine months. I'm talking nine months. And she's home alone and doing whatever she got to do and take care of us. and that's a different world. But she knew that world, so for her, it was a natural thing to reach out to those ladies and build this really huge ministry it's still going today in that church. My dad was a World Ranger leader. Him and and other friends of mine, dads, and they took us camping and learned knots. I won every knot competition, by the way. I'm just just throwing that out there. We did it all. We worked at the church. My dad started driving a bus. We had a bus ministry. So guess what I did when I was 21? I started driving a bus, right? We we did all that. And it was all, let me, I I want you to understand this. I mean, we, we help people move. When we lived overseas, my parents volunteered in the servicemen's center. My mom, actually, when we lived in the Philippines, it was the coolest thing. She worked in this deaf ministry with Filipinos. So we all learned sign language, which I don't test me on this today. But, but I can spell stuff, you know, still. And I've, I know some of the words. And, and it's what we did. Does, it, does that make sense? It was our church life. It was our life. I mean, we, of course, we had friends and we had other life, but we... That was everything we did. we did. We did so many things as a family. I, I couldn't even count. I was trying to write down and remember all the athons we did growing up, raising money for stuff. You guys know what an athon is? It's where you go, get, you go get people to sponsor you for minutes or time or days or whatever or miles. I mean, we walked. I don't even know how many things we walked for over the years. We baked stuff. I'm not sure that was wise, but we did. We, uh, we did the funniest athon. One time we did a Bible reading thing where you got all these sponsors to do this. And it's kind of volunteer, but we were going to do like read through the words of Jesus in red. And what was comical is nobody had... I was a kid, but nobody had figured out like that takes about 25 minutes. <laughs> so it was supposed to be an all-night thing, so we just did it over and over and over and over, which was awesome. I think about that. We did a ping-pong-a-thon. I don't know if Cannon uh, Gray's in here, but he really wants to do that again, which would be cool. Uh, we, we, uh, we lined the streets one time for the unborn... I, I remember doing that as a young high school, middle school student and just understanding what abortion even meant at the moment. And all of us were out there. Families, kids, we fed the homeless. Church had a coffee shop for servicemen we volunteered in. Sold Christmas trees, wrapped presents. Then I was in eighth grade. Um, any of you in eighth grade? Really? Okay, I was in eighth grade once in Sunday school. Remember that? You had a quarterly... I remember we were just opened our little quarterly, and uh, I'll never forget this, Sister Adney, we used to call people that, remember that, remember those days? In fact, I got called Brother Dennis today, and uh, <laughs> I don't know, Rebecca, and I said, yes, yeah, Sister Lamonte, because that's what we did, right? So Sister Adney busts into our Sunday school room, and she had her hair piled up on top, remember how some ladies used to do that? And she looked around the room, and she said, Dennis, I need you today, come with me. So our, at that time, our church had grown to the point where we eighth grade Sunday school was out in a trailer, so we walked across the parking lot. As we're walking across the parking lot, she hands me the third grade quarterly, and she goes, I need you to teach third grade today. I'm like, me? She goes, yeah, you can do this. Do you see what happened there? She, she saw something in me I, I didn't see in me, and she said, you can do this. i like, okay. So I followed her upstairs to the third grade Sunday school class, and I taught third grade till I graduated from high school, Till I went to college. I did that the rest of my time. And I sang by my dad some of the greatest memories. He, <laughs> he's passed away now, and I'm not making fun of him. It's just he had the most amazing tenor voice, but he came from that generation that everything had to be vibrato. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I mean? So I used to say, Dad, just sing straight right now because we're trying to blend but he was amazing. I mean, I was never a tenor, but he was he was amazing. I just, I just wanted to stand by him. We did so many things for people. We mowed. We cleaned the church. We Even I, I volunteered in Royal Rangers when I was older. It's, it's what we did. Never thought about it. I thought everybody did. In fact, you know what's weird? Everybody did do that. Everybody was involved. It was like it, nobody forced us to do it. It wasn't nobody ever complained. It, it's just who we were. It was a culture. We all helped because... And, and I don't know, I mean, we had pastors, but it's not like we expected them to do it all or other people. It was, we were the church, so we did what we did. It's just, it's who we are. And, you know, I think back about it, and I want you to understand something. I'm not, I'm not bragging about any of that. It's just what we did. It was just our, our, our life. It was, it was who we were as a church, as people. And we loved it. And those were our friends, and we ministered together and got to know people. And, and those are still a lot of them friends to this day. In fact, one of my one of my cousins, I, I recruited him to teach Sunday school for me when I was a youth pastor. This guy's got the most amazing way with illustrations and metaphors. He just he just talks in metaphors. He's a great, great, great teacher. And I remember he, he was an insurance salesman, which is good, and he still does that, but I used to always tell him, bro, you, you should pastor a church. And now he does. It's kind of cool. And it's, it's funny. He does. In fact, we had that conversation this last week because I, I knew I was going to mention him and I... I told him about that, but you know what's cool about it? A lot of those friendships that go back all those years, they were built on having a common purpose and working together, laboring together. It wasn't that the labor, it's not like kind of like the Band of Brothers idea, but it's not like we were in hardship and dodging bullets. It was more, we were in service to God together. Our purpose was united and what we did bound us together in a way that we got to know each other and we had a shared vision we knew that the church was there to see people come to christ so it was just a normal thing for us to do that i remember the day my dad was out of town uh, overseas i remember the day that uh, somebody went to turn on the faucet in the in the tub in the front bathroom there that the kids we all use and i remember the faucet shot off somehow i don't know how that happens all I remember is standing there just in awe because the water pressure, it, it came out like that big. This jet of water shot right across the tub into the wall on the other side. And we quickly, you know, shut the shower doors. And I remember looking at my mom and she literally just said, I don't, what are we gonna do, right? I knew where the water shut off was because I had worked on the sprinklers enough and broke stuff. But so I could shut the water off. You know how long it took us to find someone to help us? Five minutes, maybe, because that's how it worked. We all did that. We all volunteered. Everybody, and I, we, we, I don't even remember now who came and fixed it, but I remember as a kid just watching that and thinking, that's the way it's supposed to be. We're all connected like that, and we all meet each other's needs. It's, it's what we do. You realize, though, this is biblical going way back. You know, Jesus said that he came to serve, not be served. That's what he did. I think about this too. To me, to me too, it's it's the difference of being a consumer and an owner. Have you ever ever been to a a restaurant or really anywhere, and you can tell the employees who are just there for a paycheck? I mean, they might as well just be sitting by you in the restaurant because they're like no good to the restaurant. And then there's others who take pride in what they're part of. No matter what they make, they aren't there just for the check. They're there because they believe in the product and they believe in the business and they're doing it. It's different night and day, night and day, night and day. And you know, you see it. The same is true in in church. I want to take you to a portion of scripture, though, that you may not have ever thought of in this context. And part of this came because, you know, if you're doing the Bible reading program with us, and I encourage you to do this, you can jump in anytime. You know, we're 40 some days in, but you can just jump in. It's not a big deal. And I love, again, I, I actually, if, you, if you've been doing the Bible program and have been unhappy with some of their updates, and I, I just, a little pro tip here, I took it off my phone and then re-added it, and now it works better. So if, if you're struggling like that, but I love getting the notifications of all your comments. It's really amazing. I want to take you, though, to an interesting portion of Scripture. and This comes out of the book of Exodus. And this is Moses. And if you don't know what had happened is that the children of Israel went to Egypt, remember under Joseph. And they didn't realize maybe that they're going to be slaves there, you know, generations later. At this point, they've been slaves for 400 years, some kind of crazy number. And about this time, a man and a woman of the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And the verses right before this say that that Egypt, the Pharaoh, was worried that the Israelites were becoming too numerous and too strong. So he had instructed the midwives to kill all the baby boys. Then the midwives feared God and wouldn't do it. So then the edict was, throw them all in the water. Isn't it crazy how Israel has been attacked, the people of Israel, all the time? I mean, this this is not new. So she had this baby boy, and she saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. The baby's sister then stood at a distance to watched to see what would happen. Sorry, I just got a little choked up thinking about Eli and Megan's baby I just saw today. Can you imagine doing that with your baby? I mean, it's better than drowning them to death, but oh my goodness. How do you part with a three-month-old baby and say, God, protect my baby? Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walking along the riverbank with her attendants. And when the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent a maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Let's see what God's doing here. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? It's his sister. Yes, do, the princess replies. Go get. The, so the girl went and called the baby's mother. So Moses' mother is the one who nursed him. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Do you see what God does? Do you see this? Not only did she trust God with this baby, but then she got paid to nurse her own baby. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. Moses sounds like that term, lifted up, which is what Moses would eventually do with the people of of Israel. So 40 years, he grows up as a prince in Pharaoh's house. I don't know about you, but, you know, there's times I look at my life and I wonder what God is doing. Anybody else feel that way sometimes? Or maybe you go through certain circumstances and you wonder, can God or would He possibly or if it's possible, could He ever use me again or how would He use me? I guarantee you, God is the God of miracles like this. And He's the God that takes the impossible and makes possible. He's the God that does this, makes roads through the water. He makes dead man's bones into an army. He does these things. And He uses whatever you've been through to His glory if you allow Him to do this. And look what God was doing here. Do you think he had a plan for his people? I mean, the, the way he does this, it's so perfect. And he, he takes Moses and he prepares him for the, the perfect role. Think about this. Who else could have taken the people of Israel out of Egypt? Other than somebody who was raised in Pharaoh's house, educated in all the ways of Egypt. He understood the, the politics of Egypt. He would have understood Pharaoh's court and even the international dealings that would have gone on there. He would have understand their religion and even the magicians that he had to confront later. He would have understand and been taught leadership and management. And in the middle of that, before he was discipled, we're talking about discipleship here, he was discipled by who? His mom and dad, who were Jews. He knew all about it. He would have been educated really with a foot in both worlds. And then as the scripture, as the story goes, he goes and he sees one day, he wanted to see the plight of his brethren, so he goes and he sees a Jewish man being mistreated by an Egyptian, intervenes, kills the Egyptian. Then later he confronts two Jews who are fighting and one of them says, what, are you gonna kill us like you did the Egyptian? So he flees, he flees, and he runs. But God's not done. 40 years, he's trained in solitude. 40 years. So here's what happened. One day Moses was tending flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it did not burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. That, look, I'm not trying to over-dramatize today, but this might be like that for you. Not that I'm, not that I'm burning up or on fire, but isn't it what we come here for, to hear from God? He could be saying to you today and calling you to, to, to really step into what he's prepared you for. And you may not even realize it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Look, a burning bush that doesn't, isn't consumed is, is weird enough, and then you hear your name getting called out of it. Can you imagine? Oh, my goodness. So Moses replies, and I love this, is right in Scripture, here I am. And I, I feel like there's a lot of times where maybe God has called, but we don't say, here I am. We feel like it's for somebody else, or we pull ourselves out of the eligibility to serve because we think maybe we're not good enough or we're not prepared or we're not the best. Or, But God calls. He calls. Then the Lord said to him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. I've said this before, but... I've never heard a voice like that. Have you? I never have. I know there's some people who have because they told me about it. When I mention this, they're like, well, I have. I have not. I would like to think if I did, I would respond, right? But I feel like God calls all of us. It's just we're not really listening. Moses protested to God, and he says, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. Now, look, I understand. And maybe you feel like that. Maybe you just feel like you're not qualified. I get it. Maybe you feel like you're not equipped or maybe, again, you feel like somebody else would be better or I get that. I do. I understand that. But I'll be honest with you. God doesn't always use the the best qualified. You know why? Because there's really few of those. Uh, If we're being honest, right? Right. He, what he mostly has is us regular normal people, and that's who he uses because that's who he made us. I mean, he made us like we are, but in the middle of that, he's given you gifts and talents you may not even be, uh, you may not be qualified to assess, right? Guys, you can relate to this. I'm going to get in trouble for this, but you know, like when your wife says, I'm not pretty, what do you say? Oh, I wish I, you could see what I see, right? Because it's how you feel. And like, well, you have to say that. Right? Anybody been there? Don't raise your hand, you'll be in trouble too. But. Right? We're not always the best judge of what God has put in us to use. For those reasons. And Moses says, who am I? And I'm reading it and saying, oh my gosh, who else? You're, you're the best prepared possible. Now I appreciate that he didn't, he didn't have pride and arrogance in his own abilities. I appreciate that. I respect that. But he was also raised in Pharaoh's house. He was, he was raised by his Levite devout parents. He was trained in leading people and now sheep. Which is important. Because people are like sheep. Right? I know we don't want to admit this, but sometimes we need to be led to the food and water. Sometimes we get easily distracted and wander off. He, his time raising sheep was actually an important thing. I think he was literally the perfect leader. He served 40 years as somebody, then 40 years as nobody, which to me made him the perfect body for God to use. Look what God says to him. Listen very carefully to this because he's saying it to you today. I will be with you. It, It could have ended right there, honestly. And this is your sign. I'm the one who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. And Moses protested and said, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them that the God of your ancestors sent me, they will ask me, well, what is his name? Then what should I tell them?" And God replies, I am who I am, which is a fascinating, really poor English way to say. I always existed. It's not like I will be or I have been. I am period. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to this people of Israel, Yahweh. The God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. So what about you? What has God prepared you for? I mean, uniquely. Look, I get it. I I do get this. I get it. But you know what? Some of you could be president. I think you have that kind of gifts. I know you're probably thinking it's a low bar these days, but... But regardless, I think you could run a Fortune 500 company. I get that. Some of you have gifts that I know that. And then some, you know, you've raised great kids. You have incredible wisdom. You have experiences. God uses our gifts. He he has made you in a unique and special way, in a way that he intends for you to do great things through him. Some of you may feel like, well, I don't know if I have the right personality. You know what? I bet if any of us were to stumble upon the disciples, maybe at any point in their ministry, you would probably say the same thing. You realize none of them were really trained or or educated, except for Matthew, and then Luke wasn't a disciple. I mean, he wrote one of the Gospels, but God used them how they were. Even Matthew would have been despised as a tax collector, yet his ability to organize and all that, you can just see it right in his eyewitness account in the book of Matthew. I mean, if you ever look at it, it's It's a fascinating book. He has this really beautiful prologue that introduces Jesus as the Messiah and then he has an epilogue at the end but then in the middle he has these five teaching segments that he arranges everything around. It's beautifully arranged. And then Mark is fascinating because that's Peter's eyewitness account and just like you would expect from Peter who is still my favorite but a little bit impetuous, right? I mean, who jumps out of a perfectly good boat? Peter did, and he walked on water. Yeah, he sank, but he walked on water. No one else walked on water. I always think of those guys kidding each other. You know, and I know he denied Christ. I get that. And I imagine his friends would come up behind him and do a rooster crow every once in a while just to (laughs) mess with him. But he could come back and say, yeah, but I walked on water. I love this guy. And just like his book, it's crazy because it's half the length of all the other books he's in such a hurry to do everything right he uses the word immediately over 60 times that one word is not used in the entire rest of the new testament that many times because that's who he was and then we went here and right away we went and did this and then we did this and this that's his story right that's who he is god uses that personality to tell a story in a very unique authentic way that only he could tell it that way which is the same for you i love that I love it. Luke, you know, being a, you know, we know he was a companion of of the Apostle Paul and he researched his book at the introduction to Luke and then the introduction to Acts. He wrote both of those. He says, oh, most excellent Theophilus, who was probably a patron, a new Christian who paid to have this written. And he says, I thought it best to write a more orderly account of the things you have believed. And he goes and researches it. He's probably talking about Peter's book. That's probably what he was talking about because it was all over the place. And he goes, I'm going to put it all in order. It's beautiful. And of course he would do that. And being a Gentile, he wouldn't, he didn't come from the background like the Jews necessarily. So he wasn't as paternalistic. So he talked way more about about women, the women's roles, and he talked about being having the doctor background. He talked about, he gave more descriptions to the healings, the physical ailments. It's beautiful. God uses us. And he put those gifts in you for his glory. That's what he does. I want to. Get back to what Moses, what God said to Moses when he felt ill-equipped. Did you remember that part? What did he say? I will be with you. I want you to grab that phrase and carry it not only out of this place, but bury it deep in your heart. Do you realize that? He's with you. He's with you on the darkest day, on the brightest day. No matter what happens in this game today, he's with you. I know some of you really have a lot, right? I you know, I love them, but I'm just happy they made it. But still, right? He's with you. He's he's with you. And what the beauty of that is it's it's not up to you. But look, look, I, I know God has given each of us personalities, I know that. And he's given us gifts. But if it all rode on just your ability, how far would it really go? And then who would get the credit? It's not like he doesn't use those, he does. But the beauty of it is, he is with us, and that's the power that goes with whatever he's given you. So the fact is, he takes whatever we bring to him, just like the five loaves and two fishes, and he multiplies that for his glory in a way that would go way beyond our ability anyway. So whatever you bring to him is enough, because he's with you. The second thing I really want you to remember this, is we're not really serving just people. We're serving him. And as we serve him, people are blessed. That's how it works. Silly story, I probably don't have time for this, but I'm going to tell it anyway. So a lot of my jobs over the years, I don't know why, but have been cleaning. Probably because nobody wanted to do it. So, I mean, I cleaned for a Christian school when I was in high school. Literally, I'm riding my bike to clean a school. Um, cleaned the church, my home church. And um, later in college, even, I worked for this, this lady who had a cleaning business. Cleaned, um, Debbie, all the malls in L.A., In Orange County, I cleaned this women's dress shop, which was always super awkward. I walk in there and it's all like party dresses and they're all snotty. No offense, but if any of you... Yeah, I'm here to clean your bathroom. Like, no, right? So my first job cleaning, I will always just cherish this boss. He taught me things that I needed to learn. So I remember the first time he's okay, clean this bathroom and I'll be back in a few minutes. And he came back and he's like, he has me step out and he goes okay, now I want you to look and I want you to see what you missed. And I'm looking and there's a couple things and he goes, and I saw him and he goes, that's the only thing anybody will ever see is what you miss. When it's cleaned right, no one notices. Then he said this, because it's, he said, you're not doing it to be noticed, you're you're doing it, it was a church, so he's like, for the Lord. Then he said this, he goes, you're gonna clean the church and people are gonna do things and it's gonna hurt your feelings. Like, what? Just, well, they're going to make a mess, and you're just going to feel like, why, how could they do this to the church? And then you're going to think, I just cleaned this. Here's what he said. You're doing it for the Lord. You're you doing it for him, and you're serving his people. Don't take it personally. Don't take it personally. I remember thinking, that'll never happen. I mean, it happened the next day. Literally, night I walked into this one Sunday school room. I don't know what they had done. I don't know if they were moving stuff or whatever. It's like we had that kind of sponge carpet in there. They tore the whole thing up. I mean, I walked in, there was like this much of, of sponge all over. Like, oh my gosh. But he was right. You, do you see the difference? The first thing is this. God is with you, so whatever you bring is enough. The second thing is, you do it for him. You, you do it for him. And when you do it for him, it changes everything Yes, you're doing it for people, but they're his people. that's what you do sometimes it's public, sometimes it's not i mean i I know we all see the worship team up here and I'm up here every week but this is this is the the church is this much i mean it's that's this is this much right the The church runs with mostly people that you have no idea what's going on they're it's so private i mean how how many people know who's holding the babies in the nursery right now? You know who knows? God knows. You know who else knows? That mama that's been up all night for weeks, right? It matters, but you don't know. We don't flash their name up here and put pictures of them up here. You don't see them doing the announcements. I get it. You don't know who's helping out on Wednesday nights with the kids, but what who knows is the, the people who are coming and taking classes and growing in their faith and they couldn't do that if there was nobody helping out in kids. It's just That's how it works. We all, we all do what we can do. I was going to name this man's name, but I think he'd be embarrassed. But there's a guy sitting in here today. He's fixed three gar- gar- garbage disposals here at the church three times. He, he doesn't do it because he, he just did it because we needed it done. And I said, hey, could you do this? And he's like, glad to. Boom. And I could go on with that. I feel bad. I mean, I, can, I could mention so many things. I mean, the people who, play, who pull weeds, the people who make smoothies, the, the people here who spend a week chasing kids around kids camp. I mean, really, you give a week of your vacation up so you're not getting paid, and then you go serve, and that's a hard job. Oh, man, the, the investment in the lives of kids to do that, I get, it's the biggest, most incredible ministry, I think, all year long building a wall in Iceland, stuffing Easter eggs, washing baseboards, setting up chairs. I mean, it's amazing. Here's the bottom line. God has equipped all of us to serve. The question is just where, honestly. And he's given you the ability and he wants to work through you. It's, and, and you know here, this is the other thing I love about this. It's, it's really finding where you fit. Because remember Pastor Larry? He was a great guy. He really was. I mean, his ministry was numbers. And getting them in order. So when he saw the chaos, according to him, which I saw as beautiful, we're different. God wired us different. And what he did for the Lord was just as valuable as working with junior high students. It really is. It's just as valuable. It's just a different place. I wouldn't want anybody to be out of their fit. Because when you find your fit and you find what God has called you to do, you you love it. You love it, love it, love it. And you know what's cool about it, too, is God, God uses us in different times and different places, and it, it may change over your life because you, you have a, a certain time in life where this this is what you feel called to do. Or I know people who, who in their profession, you might think, oh, we're going to take whatever they do for a job and put it here. Well, they, they do that for a job. They don't want to do it here. Fine. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you're serving wherever God wants you to serve. That's it. That's what it's supposed to be. I remember years ago, I had... Uh, when I was youth pastor in in uh, Minnesota, had this lady come up. Her name is Pat, and uh, she had a crazy job. You know what she did? She worked for the U of M. She was in charge of um uh, she was in charge of the I think it was the cheerleaders, something like it was just a crazy job, you know. And uh, she said, you know, I feel like I'm called to work with youth, but I'm too old. And she, she was older. You know, I don't remember how old she was. Didn't write her to me. You know what I told her? I said, you know what? I think you're perfect to do this. She goes, well, aren't you usually looking for, like, 20-somethings, 30-somethings? Like, you know what? Those guys are great because they bring in energy and they're close in age. I get it. But do you know how many of our kids don't have a relationship with their grandma? You could literally be a grandma to all these kids, and you have wisdom that, no offense to no offense, but that the 20, somethings don't have, right? I mean, her life experience was worth 10 30-somethings. Do you see that? She's amazing. She still keeps in contact. She, she watches service sometimes, too. She lives in Colorado now. It's funny to think, but all those years, I mean, she was an amazing volunteer. Let me, let me put it to you this way. Pastor Jeremy mentioned this in the announcements, or right before the announcements, but, or, yeah, in the announcements, but we do have this Connect lunch today, it's just a way for you to get to know the church and the, the staff. And then if you want to move along toward that, you know we, we do a fast track and uh, let you know deeper about the church. Then we'll try to match you with your whatever you're interested in and, and find a place for you to serve if you're interested in serving. I know you're busy. I know life is busy. I know it. One of the things I love about this church is how... We have generations represented here. And I love how you know Pastor Jeremy has been working on this with even connecting generations even more. There's something powerful about our older generations pouring into our younger generations. Just a powerful thing. Another thing I love about this church is how many men serve in this church. It gives a role model to all young men. It's important. It's a beautiful thing. Let me just mention this real quick we We are planning to uh, put some wall hangers up a, a door hangers sorry on on people 's doors uh, advertising easter service we 're planning to do that on palm sunday you 'll hear more about that, but that 's something almost anybody could do right you know I, I, my point is there 's things for everybody pastor jeremy he he is the associate pastor and runs our next gen ministry, so anything nursery early ed. Children's church, middle school, high school, young adults. Your Pastor Nick, you, you may not realize what all the guys do, but Pastor Nick is obviously over the worship ministry you see here, but also the cameras, the media, coffee shop, the greeters. Um, I mean, all of those things. So it's a lot. You know, I, I help uh, the maintenance, the building, the grounds, men's ministry. Here's what I'm asking you to do today. I really believe that You would be so fulfilled if you find a place to serve. It doesn't have to be a lot. I mean, some of our kids' ministry positions, we try to make it even once a month. And I know we we try to do that because we want you in the main auditorium, too. Um, It's a beautiful thing. Let me ask you to shut your eyes for a second. I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes. This hasn't been a salvation message, but I never want to miss the opportunity. I... I don't, you know, I don't know who's walked in the, the house today or who's watching online, but I do know this. You could be here today and maybe you've heard this call before, but you know, maybe you have decided that today's the day you want to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you've been confronted with that before or thought about it before, but maybe something that was said today or something you've heard in the past, but today you want to say, I want to give my life to him. I've been living it for myself and I want to live it for him. Anybody like that today? You just raise your hand and we could pray for you. I'd love to pray for you today. All right, let me ask this. With your eyes still closed, let me just ask this. I, I don't want you to raise your hand for this, but I'm just curious. Don't you don't need to raise your hand, but I'm just wondering if maybe you've been in church a long time and you've just felt like you didn't really have anything to give, to serve. I hope you see that differently. I hope you appreciate the fact that God made you unique with unique gifts. And the best part about it is he is with you. That's it. That's it. I want to pray for you. And then we'll close the service. Let me just pray with you for a second. Father, I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for this church. God, I'm grateful to, looking back over my life, the different people who poured into my life just as volunteers, the different people who who saw things in me I never saw, That the people who encouraged me, the people who corrected me, challenged me, taught me, were patient with me. God, I'm thankful for that, and I'm thankful for this church and the beautiful things I see here and the people who give so much of their time and, and love to do it. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you would continue to use us, all that we bring to you, and that you would multiply it for your glory. God, we love you and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.